1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Today we're going to talk with Matt Staver. He's the chairman of Liberty Council. They are one of four plaintiffs in a case involving the state of California versus the Pregnancy Resource Centers of uh, California. There are four separate cases. Liberty is uh, handling one of them. Alliance Defending Freedom has secured an opportunity to present its case to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the other three are pending that decision. We'll talk with Matt Staver about that. And as you might recall, the state of California requires the the pregnancy resource centers to essentially advertise and advocate for Uh, abortion in their centers. We'll talk with him about what's happening and what's likely to happen next. Then we'll uh, hear from Carmen Leberge. She's the author of Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. It's a Regnery faith book. She'll be uh, um, talking with us Um, at 5 o'clock, and then um, uh, we'll try to give you a bit of a lineup of what's coming up for the next, uh, well, few days. I'm out on Friday in anticipation of Undaunted. We'll be presenting the concert Friday night and then the conference on Saturday. And, uh, of course, there's a short week with uh, Thanksgiving coming up as well, so we'll... I'll give you a heads up on what's happening there. Well, if you haven't yet heard, the House today passed a sweeping tax bill, largely along party lines, that makes good on a Republican campaign promise to reform the company, the country's tax code. Well, that's the House anyway. The House seems to be able to move things. The Senate, that's another story. The bill passed 227 to 205. Thirteen Republicans voted against it. House Speaker Paul Ryan celebrated the passage, calling it nothing short of extraordinary. This country has not rewritten its tax codes. Since 1986, he said on Capitol Hill, surrounded by Republican lawmakers, the powers of status quo in this town are so strong, yet 227 men and women of this Congress broke through that today. End quote. Well, the White House, in a statement, called the bill's passage a big step toward fulfilling our promise to deliver historic tax cuts for the American people by the end of the year. But the future of the Senate version, as I mentioned, which includes a repeal of Obamacare's individual mandate, is still very much up in the air. Several senators have wavered on their support of the legislation, which the chamber is still negotiating in committee. So... While we're being told it's going to move relatively quickly, not relative to the House, but relatively quickly, uh, it uh, it does have a few hurdles before it makes it onto the Senate floor. The future of the Senate version, which includes a repeal, as I mentioned, of Obamacare's individual mandate, is up in the air. The House Tax Cut and Jobs Act, as it's called, was pitched as a plan to help middle-income Americans by raising the standard deduction and simplifying the code, including collapsing tax brackets to four from seven. Republicans aggressively marketed their plan as something that would benefit everyone, but critics said much of the financial gains would go to the wealthiest Americans and big corporations. The final version scaled back some popular deductions while cutting the corporate tax rate to, uh, to 20% from 35 Uh, New York Representative Peter King, he one of the most ardent opponents of that proposal, called the House bill an unforced error and suggested it could uh, come back to bite Republicans in the next midterm elections. Of course, doing nothing will do the same. King was part of a small group of House Republicans from New York and New Jersey who rebelled against the House plan uh, uh, because it would erase tax deductions for state and local incomes. And uh, sales taxes and limit property tax deductions to $10,000. Well, ahead of the vote, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi slammed it as a tax hike on 36 million middle class families that is uh, dead on arrival in the Senate. Well, we'll have to see if that's the case. It's Actually, likely the Senate version, which is working its way through the Finance Committee this week, is facing a a lot of obstacles, including pushback from GOP senators. It's still in the making. So some are suggesting there's hope. Senator Ron Johnson announced his opposition on Wednesday to the plan, the GOP plan. Uh, Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Jeff Flake of Arizona, Bob Corker of Tennessee. They've expressed concern about the bill, but have not signaled which way they would vote. Uh, through uh, regular order and an open and transparent uh, amendment process, the members of the Senate Tax Writing Committee are also making real progress on a bill that's been years in the making to fulfill the promise to the American people, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said uh, after the House vote. Earlier today, the president visited Capitol Hill to meet with House Republicans ahead of the vote, at least in the House. He told us that we have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do something really bold and he reminded us that that is why we seek these offices. That's a quote from Representative Steve Womack, who was in on that meeting. He said the president's closed door prep rally uh, that uh, we are here on the cusp of getting something really important done. Well, some House Republicans spoke warily of what might happen to the tax bill in the Senate. Political survival depends on us doing this, said Representative Kevin Kramer. Frankly, one of the uh, one of the things that scares me a little bit is that we're going to uh, screw up on this bill to the point that we can't pass it. Of course, they have to reconcile the House and the Senate version, assuming there is a Senate version uh, finally passed. The House measure would collapse today's seven personal uh, income tax rates into four, 12, 25, 35, and 39.6%. The Senate would uh, have seven rates, 10, 12, 23, 24, 32, 35, 38.5. So there's a Big gap there, both bills would nearly double the standard deduction to around twelve thousand dollars for individuals twenty four thousand for married couples, and dramatically boost the current one thousand per child tax credit. Each plan would erase the current forty thousand fifty personal exemption and annual. Uh, or reduce uh, other tax breaks the house would limit interest deductions to 500,000 in the value of future home mortgages down from today's 1 million while the senate would end deductions for uh, moving expenses and tax preparation each uh, measure would re- uh, would repeal the alternate minimum tax paid by higher earning uh, people and the house measure would uh, reduce and ultimately repeal the tax paid on the largest inheritances while the senate would limit that levy to Fewer estates. So, some pretty big differences, assuming the Senate can pass anything at all, that will have to be reconciled before it's all said and done. Meanwhile, in the uh, the lineup of individuals who are being accused of uh, misconduct with uh, females, a California TV host and sports radio broadcaster today accused uh, Democratic Senator Al Franken of misbehaving. I won't go into the details because we we're hearing enough of that. Uh, Leanne Tweeden posted a, a blog detailing the alleged incident and also tweeted a picture of what seems to be a grinning Franklin, Franken. Of course, this is before he's seated in the Senate, standing over her as she sleeps, pretending... Uh, to engage uh, in physical contact with her in an inappropriate way, Franken said he doesn 't remember the incident, but apologized for posing for the picture. He said he intended to be funny, but it of course wasn 't I certainly don 't remember the rehearsal for for the skit in the same way that she does. He implied, but he said, uh, My sincerest apologies are extended, and in a statement as to the photo, it was clearly intended. Uh, to be humorous uh it uh, was not and I should not have done it he went on to say she says she has accepted his apologies she's not seeking anything else from him but um there has been a call for uh, a, a ethics probe by Chuck Schumer who is the Senate minority leader uh if it goes through the uh, the ethics process in uh, in Washington in the Senate it's doubtful that anything will be done because they can't seem to achieve anything in that uh, chamber. But nonetheless, just the latest in a long line of of growing list of individuals who have been outed, if you will, by women who suggest that they were um, mistreated in a sexual way by these uh, men in various quarters. Politicians, I suppose, no different from Hollywood and other areas where we're hearing these accusations being made. Fifteen minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back
1: you 're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on ninety three point nine kpdq
2: we 're back if you 're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. well, as I mentioned, uh, another pair of women have come forward. I mentioned the TV appearance of one of the individuals saying that Al Franken harassed her, and another has now stepped forward and an ethics uh, uh, review is expected. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer called for that. But then I was recalling just a day or two ago a congresswoman saying to her colleagues some of you are known pervs which is short for the longer word. At least two members of Congress have histories of sexually harassing female colleagues or staffers but she and I'm quoting the pervs identities remain secret because of Congress way of handling such complaints. And did you know that some 50 million dollars of U.S. taxpayer money has been spent to hush up those who would raise their voices in these types of allegations. Representative Jackie Spear disclosed on Tuesday that there were two members of Congress, Republican and Democrat, right now who serve who have been subject to review uh, or not have been a subject for review but were engaged in harassment of a sexual kind. She didn't name the uh, the uh, individuals in testimony before the House Administration Committee, but she described a system that allows to accuse harassers there to remain anonymous and use taxpayer money for their defense and to pay off victims to keep them quiet. Now, most taxpayers are unaware of this. Since recently sharing her own story of sexual harassment while a, a Capitol Hill staffer, uh, Spear, who's 67 years old, says many women have confided. Um, their own experiences, particularly in this environment where many are coming forward. Harassment includes asking, are you going to um, be a good girl or uh, to perpetrators ex- exposing themselves to victims, having their. um Well, it goes on from there. In even more shocking testimony, Representative Barbara Comstock said a young female staffer recently went to a, a current lawmaker's house to deliver documents. She was greeted with a member uh, who was not fully dressed, who then invited her in. Um, in an apparent description of a third person, a third member of Congress, at that point, he decided to, uh, to go further. She left and quit her job. Meanwhile, CNN said sexual harassment is so common in D.C. that women share an unwritten creep list of male lawmakers to avoid. More than 1,500 former Hill staffers signed a petition urging the House and Senate to put in place mandatory sexual harassment training. All they ask in return as staff members is to be able to work in hostile free work environments, the representative said. With sexual harassment in the national spotlight, House Speaker Paul Ryan responded quickly, calling for mandated training going forward. The House will adopt a policy of mandatory anti-harassment and anti-discrimination training for all members and staff, he said in a statement. Doesn't it just strike you as odd that you would have to. uh, impose some kind of training on what's appropriate and inappropriate in a work environment for men and women who are charged with making and keeping the laws of the land. It's just extraordinary to me that this is an issue where some consider it to be unclear um, currently, accused lawmakers get legal counsel as ta- at taxpayer expense while the accuser does not. the victim has to attend counseling and is required to sign a non disclosure agreement before mediation begins and mediation is required. The present system may have been okay in the dark ages. Uh, Representative Spears goes on to say uh, in committee uh, it 's not appropriate in the twenty first century she said for the few survivors who secure a settlement, there is no disclosure of the con- the congressman. Uh, involved or the amount of funds. The taxpayers foot the bill. The harasser goes on and, and uh, his uh, or her life. There is zero accountability and zero transparency. A representative for uh, Spear said the victims of the two sitting lawmakers did not want her to name their abusers. The victims asked her not to do so because they are at the mercy of non disclosure agreements in perpetuity, the representative said. So cases that have already been settled, in quotes. Uh, apparently cannot at this point um, speak to uh, the issues that uh, that were raised in that um, in that melee. Well, in the wake of an outpouring of uh, misconduct allegations hitting the world of media and politics, it's interesting that the uh, the mainstream media and some on the left have steadily uh, been turning to on former President Bill Clinton and even former Vice President Joe Biden, who expressed his Interest in the possibility of running for president uh, in next time around over their behavior toward women. Well, the former vice president is taking some heat in uh, liberal publications over past claims of inappropriate touching. The allegations against uh, President Clinton are far more serious and longstanding. But while Clinton family allies brush them off during the heated 2016 presidential race, liberal writers and commentators suddenly have gained an appetite for revisiting them as gross and cynical and hypo- hypocritical as the right's. Um, uh, uh, what about Bill Clinton's stuff is it's also true that Democrats and the center left are overdue for a real reckoning with the allegations against him. That's a quote from MSNBC host Chris Hayes tweeting on Friday, touching off a series of columns from typically left wing outlets, many of whom uh, were very vigorous in their support of. Uh, President Clinton and very uh, outspoken about their rejection of the women who came forward with allegations of very serious misconduct. Well, the shift comes at an intense focus on sexual harassment and assault, with allegations rocking Hollywood, East Coast media circles, including against producer Harvey Weinstein, actor Kevin Spacey, comedian uh, Louis C.K., and MSNBC's Mark Halperin, to name just a few. The allegations have also hit lawmakers in Washington, state capitals, with the most prominent claims centering. On Alabama Republican Senate, hopeful Roy Moore, but if they are insisting that he be um, uh, he not be allowed to be seated in the Senate even if he 's elected, and by the way, the numbers look uh, uh, look pretty bad for him at this point. Um, they're insisting that others must also be acknowledged. Well, all this scrutiny has uh, revived the question of how Bill Clinton was able to stay in office for two terms, then launch a post-presidential career as one of the highest paid public speakers and most influential elder statesmen in the world. Juanita Broderick, who was long accused of Bill Clinton of uh, rape and spoke out during the 2016 campaign, returned to the spotlight again this week when a com- when a comedian Chelsea Handler tweeted about the allegations Uh, Facing more saying, imagine being molested by an older man. Then that man denies ever doing it and then goes on and gets elected to United States Senate. What kind of message does that send to young girls everywhere and um, men uh, to all the men who abuse women? Juanita Broderick wrote back, yeah, I can imagine I was raped by the Arkansas Attorney General, who then became governor and president And NBC, uh, held my interview explaining the event until after uh, the election, and it went on from there. So it's uh, rather interesting that it's broadening to not just what's occurring now, but what has occurred in the past, and perhaps the uh, the playing field is being leveled just a bit, although far too late for those who alleged uh, misconduct uh, by Bill Clinton and others who are no longer in the political spotlight. Meanwhile, Republican leaders are exploring a dramatic remedy to salvage the Alabama Senate seat as uh, fresh polling shows that Roy Moore's prospects are fading fast. With less than four weeks until the special election and no sign that the party's besieged nominee will exit the race, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and his top advisers are discussing the legal feasibility of asking appointed Uh, Senator Luther strange to resign from his seat in order to trigger a new special election. And of course, the governor would uh, would make that appointment if uh, if something doesn't Uh, resolve itself. McConnell aides express caution, saying they're uncertain whether such a move, one of several options being discussed, is even possible. Yet the talks underscore the despair among top Republicans over relinquishing a seat in Deep Red South, further diminishing their slim Senate majority. So there are considerations as to what's the moral and right thing to do. There are also political and partisan considerations about what this will do to the overall makeup in Washington. And that, I suppose, is the calculus for most uh, politicians. But Uh, Nonetheless, the allegations have been made. Uh, Many have suggested they are credible allegations, have asked him to step aside. He has said he has no intention of doing so, but has not uh, answered the charges in a way that has been uh, credible to many who um, are trying to hold him accountable. New GOP polling obtained by Politico suggests that Moore is um, cratering a survey conducted by the National Republican Senatorial Committee after uh, the allegations emerged. Um, said that uh, Doug Jones, his Democratic uh, opponent, uh, led by 12 points. Other uh, recent polling uh, has the race a bit closer, but it is certainly costing uh, the judge, and again, Judge Roy Moore, uh, a seat that, or, or could certainly cost in terms of numbers now, but could cost him a seat that was solidly Republican. Uh, and that back and forth uh, is taking up time and effort in Washington as well as in Alabama as the state party is considering. Uh, what their options are. 31 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: 36 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later this hour, we'll hear from Matt Staver. He's the chairman of Liberty Council. Uh, they're involved in one of four cases that uh, the Supreme Court is going to review to determine whether or not California's uh, law. That would require speech from the pregnancy resource centers in that state affirming abortion and directing their clients uh, is, in fact, constitutional. A federal judge uh, today declared a mistrial in the high profile bribery case of New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez. Jurors twice reported that they were hopelessly deadlocked and despite efforts on the part of the judge to... Uh, try to coax them into trying again. It was no uh, it was no good. There's no alternative to declaring a mistrial. The U.S. District Court judge William Walls said this afternoon. The decision came after jurors said that they could not reach a verdict. It was the second time this week the 12 member panel told the judge that they could not come to a unanimous decision. I think we have uh, for real hung jury Menendez attorney Abe Loyal said. A rather Lowell said before the judge issued his decision. Well, attorneys for Menendez earlier had filed paperwork with the court urging the judge to declare a mistrial if jurors remain deadlocked. Prosecutors asked Walls to instruct the panel to deliver a partial verdict on some counts if they could. Walls denied that request and said it would uh, be going down the slippery slope of coercion. Well, the case against Menendez marks the first time in almost a decade that a sitting U.S. senator has faced a federal bribery charge. According to the criminal complaint, the senator uh, greased the wheels of a friend, a Florida ophthalmologist. Among other things, Menendez was accused of helping obtain visas for several of his girlfriends, as well as lobby the State Department on his behalf regarding a $500 million port security contract in the Dominican Republic. Uh, The uh, friend, Melgen, Uh, In turn, paid for private jets, hotel rooms, and forked over nearly $75,000 in campaign contributions to the senator. Even though a bribery conviction doesn't mean Menendez would be forced to resign, the 63-year-old lawmaker likely would face intense pressure to do so, to step down. A recent Fox News poll found that a majority of voters think Menendez should resign immediately if he's convicted. Well, he hasn't been exonerated or convicted. There was a hung jury, so what next? Vice President Pence has said that it would be altogether inappropriate and wrong for a convinced, a convicted felon rather to remain in the Senate. However, he said it would be a decision left up to the Senate if Menendez didn't resign. Well, Menendez, who is up for re-election next year, was selected to replace former Democratic Governor John Corzine in 2005. If Menendez does step down from the Senate uh, before January the 16th, outgoing and widely unpopular Republican Governor Chris Christie would get the to appoint a successor. And if Menendez steps down or is forced out after that date, the decision would go to newly elected Democratic Governor Phil Murphy. My guess is if he uh, is going to step down, he'll hold out until Governor Murphy is uh, appointed or is um, sworn in. Um, Carl Mayer, who's the author of Shakedown, the Fleecing of the Garden State, has called for Menendez to resign. Whether or not that's uh, likely is not clear at this point. Menendez uh, and Christie are opposite sides of the same coin. They both have excelled in the dark darts of New Jersey politics. Both the uh, Uh, But they are, he said, uh, they are both now at the end of their political careers because voters are tired of the swamp, he said. Well, it's not clear if the voters are tired of the swamp in the case of Menendez. Meanwhile, Melgin, 63, who... Uh, convicted uh, was convicted of 67 counts of health care fraud in April in what the uh, Palm Beach Post called one of the biggest Medicare fraud cases in U.S. history. The lengthy case against Menendez has taken several frustrating turns. Jurors had uh, been told repeatedly not to read reports about the case. Four jurors and three alternates uh, told Walls this week they had heard or read something about the trial over the weekend. He questioned them individually in his chambers. And last week, Walls dismissed a juror, uh, one juror uh, so she could go on a vacation with her family. That prompted Walls to uh, uh, tell the new jury, uh, made up of seven women and five men, to begin fresh deliberations. Panelists also asked uh, the judge for the definition of a senator. The federal judge refused to answer why they asked that question, I'm uh, certain we'll have some idea once they take to the mic. But he also declined a juror's request last Monday for a transcript of the uh, closing arguments by Lowell Menendez's attorney. The judge uh, told jurors they would need to rely on their memories and their memories apparently were not sufficient. And he declared a mistrial earlier today. Whether or not the government will um, go after the uh, the senator again remains to be seen. But Senator Menendez and his press um, uh, announcement earlier today following that announcement or, or actually just before it with the expectation that the judge was going to announce a mistrial seemed to uh, respond as if he had been exonerated and thought that the uh, government because of the expense associated with it was not likely to move forward in that case. Meanwhile, in other news about uh, a group of six Democratic House members introduced articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump, claiming the president has violated federal law and the public trust and should be charged with high crimes and misdemeanors. Democratic Representative Steve Cohen of Tennessee, Luis Gutierrez of Illinois, Al Green of Texas and Andriano S. of New York introduced five articles of impeachment at a press conference at the Capitol on Wednesday. The articles have two more co-sponsors, Representative Samarsha Fudge of Ohio and John Yarmouth of Kentucky. The congressman listed a number of charges against the president, including obstruction of justice, a violation of the Constitution's Foreign Emoluments Clause, a violation of the Constitution's Domestic Emoluments Clause, undermining the federal judiciary process and undermining the press. The articles focus primarily on the president's handling of the termination of former FBI director James Comey and potential conflicts of interest with Trump businesses and properties while he's serving as president. Well, Cohen said they are simply calling for the House to begin hearings on the articles. We believe that uh, President Trump has violated the Constitution and we've introduced five articles of impeachment. Uh, Representative Cohen said, well, the Tennessee uh, congressman also said there are at least a dozen other members who are close to joining them and calling for the impeachment. Cohen said the House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi understands why they are bringing forth the articles, even though she does not agree. Pelosi said in early November that impeachment is not some place that I think we should go. And the Democrats should be focusing first and foremost on trying to unify the nation. Republicans are currently focused on pushing tax reform. The House succeeded earlier today. The Senate still working at it. Congress um, is uh, watching the wa- the clock and making sure it doesn't run out on the 2017 legislative calendar. Uh, Michael Ahrens, a spokesman for the Republican National Committee, said in a statement uh, that House Democrats lack a positive message and are completely unwilling to work across the aisle. So instead, they've decided to support a baseless, radical effort that the vast majority of Americans disagree with. I'm not sure if the vast majority of Americans disagree with it, but that's the quote. Republicans are focused on issues the middle class actually cares about, he went on to say, by cutting taxes and growing the economy. We'll see what happens in the Senate as the House has passed their version, which differs in some very dramatic ways from the Senate version, uh, which is yet to be uh, finalized and brought to the Senate floor. Well, a little-known whistleblower lawsuit accuses uh, Planned Parenthood clinics in Iowa of wrongly siphoning millions of American taxpayer dollars with a series of complicating bills, uh, billing schemes uh, aimed at increasing their profits. Among other dishonest practices, a former manager of the clinics alleges Planned Parenthood staffers routinely purchased birth control pills for just under $3, billed Medicaid $35 for the same package of pills, and got reimbursed for 26 Well, the lawsuit, which was brought by... Um, Sue Thayer, a 17-year employee of Planned Parenthood in Iowa, coincides with a national scandal over undercover videos that show the organization's officials in other states talking about the sale of body parts from aborted babies. The series of videos, uh, disputed by Planned Parenthood rather hotly, uh, Federation of America, triggered renewed efforts by conservative lawmakers to strip taxpayer dollars from the nation's largest provider Of abortions in her suit, Thayer alleges multiple accounts of fraud, waste, and abuse in the Iowa clinics that add, add rather, up to $28 million. Her allegations raise both ethical and legal questions at a time when the nation, the National Planned Parenthood Organization, faces a hostile climate in Washington and. Beyond. Well, up next, we're going to talk about, um, talk with rather, Matt Staver, chairman of Liberty Council. We'll talk about uh, the fact that the Supreme Court is going to hear the case on uh, California's law um, that directs the pregnancy resource centers to affirm and promote uh, abortions there. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to review the California Reproductive Fact Act, which compels pro life crisis pregnancy centers in California to post notices regarding the availability of free and low cost abortions in their physical clinics, printed materials, and online. Well, the court agreed to hear the case, National Institute of Family and Life Advocates um, versus Becerra. Uh, one of four cases brought by crisis pregnancy centers challenging the law as a violation of the First Amendment guarantees of free speech and the free exercise of religion. Well, here to talk with us about the decision by the Supreme Court of the United States and uh, the role that uh, Liberty Council is going to play in all of this is Matt Staver. He's the chairman of Liberty Council. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about this important case.
3: Thank you. My pleasure to be with you.
2: It's probably not accurate to say case, singular, because there really are four separate cases that are pending, and the court has agreed to hear one of them, but the decision they make will likely have impact on uh, the remaining three?
3: That's right. They're all the same issue. They're all the same kind of situation. They all contain a First Amendment challenge, and they all involve crisis pregnancy centers. We have one of the cases in which we represent several crisis pregnancy centers, so what is decided on one is going to apply to all of them, and the sequence of them just in terms of timing and reaching the Supreme Court is based upon what the Supreme Court decided to to take a case. But they're also holding the others, meaning that they will be directly affected, and they'll make orders on those as well regarding the issue. So we will file a brief at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Shortly after the new year in 2018, the argument will be sometime in the spring of 2018 with a decision by June of 2018. But this is a great decision to take this case because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that sits in San Francisco upheld the law in all four of these cases. It's the most reversed Circuit Court of Appeals in the country, reversed by the U.S. Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court had decided that it was comfortable with the Ninth Circuit's ruling upholding this forced speech law, it could have just simply moved on to another case and let the decision stand. But the fact that they have stepped in is a very good sign that uh, they, I think, will ultimately overturn this decision because it's a clear violation of First Amendment rights to free speech, which includes the right not to speak.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and certainly government compelled speech is uh, is forbidden. Let's let's back up. Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court, as you've pointed out, is uh, so often overturned by the Supreme Court. But let's talk about the law itself in the state of California. And again, it's called the California Reproductive Fact Act. And we know that in the state of Oregon, and I believe in Washington as well, there have been efforts to impose similar uh, laws uh, on pregnancy resource centers here. Let's talk about California's law and what they are um, requiring, or what they'd like to require. Uh, Crisis pregnancy centers to do?
3: Well, the law requires crisis pregnancy centers to post a conspicuous notice at the entrance, in the lobby, in all printed material, and online that specifically tells clients, and they've got a prescribed sentence or sentences, that there are other options for low cost abortion. And here, these are crisis pregnancy centers. They are in the business, the mission, every single moment of saving lives not destroying them, and yet the government is telling them that for now they can continue that as long as they speak a specifically and direct opposite message of taking the life of the unborn child, which they're trying to preserve. I mean, it's like telling the NAACP to post a conspicuous notice about the opportunity for some other white supremacist organizations that they need to check out. It's absolutely uh, unbelievable that the government would force these crisis pregnancy centers to promote a message of death when they're in the mission of promoting
2: life. And my guess is they are not uh, requiring abortion clinics, for example, to post anything suggesting that that if you are... Um, hesitant to have an abortion. There are other options available to you. And here are the places you can uh, you can go to to learn more. Uh, that's not posted on their uh, facility. It's not in their printed material. That same requirement is not required of those who uh, who provide and perform abortions and promote them.
3: No, not at all. Of course, you know, this is California, so this is a very radical Mm -hmm. pro-abortion state attorney general, legislature, governor. Uh, They're only going to force the pro-life organizations, the crisis pregnancy centers that don't accept any money from the federal government or state government, to present a message that's absolutely pro-abortion and contrary to the mission and message. So that's why I think this uh, attracted the attention of the U.S. Supreme Court justices, And that's why I think this is going to be overturned.
2: Is this unprecedented in which the the state is requiring uh, specific speech be uh, uttered by organizations and individuals whose views on the subject they're being forced to address is contrary to what the state is forcing them to say?
3: Well, we've had situations like this not quite as egregious. We've Mm -hmm. had a situation in New York with regards to crisis pregnancy centers that ultimately got stopped. I represented uh, crisis pregnancy centers in Florida that went to the Court of Appeals and won the case where they were telling crisis pregnancy centers you could not even mention or refer to adoption. You have to only point to the yellow pages of the phone book. But this one just goes beyond. It actually tells them to refer to the very opposite entity, an abortion clinic, when they are in the mission of providing life-saving messages and alternatives. So this is absolutely egregious and You know, if this were to be upheld, this kind of law I could see going through other states, maybe Oregon, certainly, Mm -hmm. New York, and some other liberal states, and the implications of it are staggering. It really ultimately to an organization that is centered around a mission it will cause that organization to simply be destroyed. You know, you've got women, for example, that are coming to these clinics, maybe for ultrasound or just counseling or just alternatives. They're not interested in hearing the message about abortion, and yet they're being forced to listen to it. The people that are in the ministry of these crisis pregnancy centers, they obviously don't want to present a message about abortion. They're in a completely opposite uh, ministry. Some of these women that work in these uh, crisis pregnancy centers have themselves had abortions, and they are trying to present prevent people from making the same mistakes. Why force them to present a message of abortion only in California? But you know what? Again, this is a good move because uh, this decision I think represents a significant move. And yes. again, we're looking at the Ninth Circuit and we're looking at a court that could have allowed this to go forward. But they stepped in. I think we're going to have a good decision by the end of June 2018.
2: And again, at the heart of the argument is that this violates the First Amendment. Uh, it violates the free freedom of speech, the free exercise of religion that we find there.
3: That's right. Well, there's two types of uh, arguments against this free speech, as you mentioned, and free exercise of religion. What the Supreme Court has narrowed the issue to is the free speech right under the First Amendment. So that's what they're going to focus on. That, by far, is the strongest argument uh, that can be presented here, and that's the broadest argument, because you may have some crisis pregnancy centers that may or may not have a religious mission or a message, but they want to present the same kind of crisis pregnancy center alternatives. So the free speech is the strongest one, and it's the broadest, and that's what the Supreme Court is going to focus upon.
2: Well, I'm encouraged to hear that uh, that this is uh, going to be heard by the court and perhaps uh, Oregon's pregnancy resource centers will not have to go to the legislature next time around and uh, and defend themselves from a similar effort here in this state. Thank you so much for the work that you do at uh, Liberty Council and for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Again, uh, Matt Staver is the uh, chairman of the Liberty Council and uh, is uh, representing one of four plaintiffs. I say four plaintiffs there are actually several pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers, as some of them are called in each of these cases. But they represent one of the four cases that the Supreme Court's decision will ultimately have an impact on. So I'm heartened uh, to hear that they're going to take this up. And it sounds like they have a very strong I mean, it seems obvious to me, but that's not always how uh, the court rules. It sounds like they have a very strong case, and I'm looking forward to uh, a hearing uh, the uh, the decision that they come up with. You might recall just a few days ago, a judge put a permanent stay uh, until this decision is ultimately made. So we're looking forward to, uh, to that being resolved, not only for the state of California, but it certainly will have an impact on efforts all across the country to impose similar strictures on what uh, these centers uh, can, cannot, and are required to do. So that's... Uh, That's good news. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. In the next hour, we're going to talk with Bill Foster. He's the author of How the Bible Works, Seeing the Connectedness of Scripture. Now, many of us are familiar with the books of the Bible, but we may not know how much of what we read there is connected. It's not a book that you read from uh, cover to cover like you would a novel, but the stories and the poetry and the various elements of the 66 books are connected and we're going to talk with Mr. Foster about that. And this book that he's written for, uh, for average believers is a very creative way of helping us to see that connectedness he'll join us uh, in the five o'clock hour we're also going to talk with rana mall you might uh, have noticed she was with us yesterday she's with transitional youth the, uh, the executive director she's also the founder and um, the director of breaking cycles i wanted to give her an opportunity to tell you more about that it's an exciting uh, program and on thanksgiving the uh, gala that's being presented to about a hundred homeless youth from the city of portland and uh, Ronna can uh, tell us more about that when she joins us as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Again, we have news and traffic coming up in just a moment.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back for the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, I'm taking Friday off, as some of you probably know. We're a uh, Going to be hosting the Undaunted concert on Friday night, and the conference on Saturday. And by the way, if you want more information, you can go to undauntedministries.org. dot uh, org. But that's uh, taking my whole day on Friday, so I'm not going to be here. We're looking forward to sharing with you some of the best interviews of the last couple of weeks, uh, and then taking a look at next week. It's a short week because of the holiday, and I'm so looking forward to celebrating Thanksgiving and also. Um, celebrating the start of the 55th uh, season of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree that begins always the Friday immediately following Thanksgiving, that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then the following week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which straddles two weekends. The the first weekend is the last uh, week of November The second weekend is the first weekend of December. So I'm looking forward to uh, that. But on Monday here on the program, we're going to talk with uh, Melissa Spolstra. She's the author of Total Christmas Makeover, 31 Devotions to Celebrate with Purpose. And I know for many of us, as we are attempting to keep the main thing the main thing, we want to keep our focus on what's most important and how to celebrate the birth of Christ in a way that's honoring to him and not distracting to us. So I'm looking forward to talking with Melissa about that. Again, the book is titled Total Christmas Makeover, 31 Devotions to Celebrate with Purpose. And then on Tuesday, we'll talk with Kenneth Boa. He's the author of Life in the Presence of God, Practicing for Living in Light of Eternity. And isn't that uh, where all of us ought to live, in light of eternity? And so I'm looking forward to talking with him about that. And as we enter the Christmas season, it's always a, a healthy reminder Uh, That life is more than just a couple of holidays in which we acknowledge the tremendous gift that God has given us, but it is a walk with him, a relationship that grows and develops and deepens. And so we're going to talk about not only this life, but the life to come and how that should influence the way we navigate the world today. And then on Wednesday, as has become our tradition here, we've got a couple of Thanksgiving specials, including the Brooklyn Tabernacle choir Thanksgiving special. We shared that, uh, I think, for the first time last year and looking forward to sharing a version of that this year. That's coming up on Wednesday as we anticipate uh, Thanksgiving. And then we'll also uh, share with you a uh, a program that focuses on the uh, purpose and focus of Thanksgiving as a national holiday. And of course, it's what we should always be practicing, that expression of gratitude first to God for all that he has done for us. And then beyond that, uh, for uh, others who are part of our lives and we can express that kind of gratitude as well. And then Thursday, of course, being Thanksgiving, we have our special annual, The Legend of Squanto. I know for some of you that's become a tradition. So that will be uh, the entire program on Thursday and Friday. We'll focus on the best of the Georgine Rice Show. So that's the lineup for uh, this week, uh, the remainder of this week and uh, the short week. Next week on Friday, as I mentioned, is the opening of uh, next Friday, I should say, is the opening of uh, the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. It's fifty-fifth season. It's a great time, by the way, to purchase tickets. And I would encourage you to call the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. You get the best deal on tickets if you contact them directly. You can purchase them through other mechanisms as well. But if you want the best deal, I would encourage you to go directly uh, to them. And you can find their uh, uh, their phone number online. And also, you can hear the spots here. On the station. So, do want to give you a a reminder that that uh, season is starting this Friday and it only straddles two weekends. So, I'm hoping this year will be unlike most years when I hear from people who say, Oh, yeah, I fully intend to attend the Singing Christmas Tree this year, only to find out later that it's come and gone. A great way to kick off. The Christmas season and certainly to invite others to uh, to join you as well well if you had the opportunity to listen to the program earlier today you know there were lots of uh, of discouraging headlines um another senator has been accused of uh, misconduct with re- with regard to women uh Chuck Schumer is calling for an ethics probe on that um, some of our uh, uh, politicians and uh, from a variety of quarters are being exposed as uh, misbehaving around women. And I, on the one hand, it's a good thing that finally women are telling their stories. And I think some of us have stories we have yet to tell. Um, and uh, there's a growing acknowledgement that this is no longer acceptable. Now this should have been done a couple of decades ago. This isn't the uh, uh, the first politician, of course, Judge Morris is the other one that's uh, been most recent out of Washington, but we also have uh, many people out of uh, Hollywood and other uh, other places, uh, and we're we're hearing for the first time, perhaps for some, the extraordinary things that women have to put up with. I don't want to overstate the problem, but this has been an ongoing problem for women, women for decades. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing longer than that, but I'm only acknowledging for decades, and exposing what um, has been done, uh, I think has put the fear of God into a lot of people who have perhaps that kind of history or Um, have thought that they could do so with impunity and things are changing. So there is a silver lining to the disgusting details of what uh, people have done. Um, So we we talked a little bit about that um, and uh, some of the names that are also being bandied about in that uh, regard. Also, the GOP, they uh, passed uh, the GOP House, I should say, they passed a tax reform package. It's momentous because it's the first time since Ronald Reagan now, passing their version of it is one thing uh, the, the Senate passing their own version. And of course, the margins are much smaller there. And then coming up with some sort of a reconciliation, a, a, a plan that uh, both uh, chambers can agree on. That's going to be the challenge. And uh, also talked about the fact that uh, some Democrats have introduced articles of impeachment. Now, this has been a delight to some who oppose our current president. Unfortunately, Um, You can't just introduce articles of impeachment without grounds. And some of the Democratic leaders in uh, Washington have already um, expressed that this is not the right approach and that they're a little embarrassed by the whole undertaking. Also, Planned Parenthood has defrauded Medicaid, saying, uh, according to a former manager, there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the news and it it can weigh heavily on one's uh, heart and soul. And I would just encourage you to take courage, to let your heart take courage uh, that we have an opportunity to influence the culture by um, following Christ with our whole hearts, uh, doing what he's calling us to do, speaking up, standing up, um, in fact, uh, kneeling down and praying. There's, there's a lot that we're called to do as followers of Christ. And I hope we're all taking seriously the fact that God has placed us in this place at this time to be an, an influence and to have an impact on our communities, on our city, on our culture, and uh, even the world. So keep praying. Keep hoping, keep trusting God. All right, we're out of time. Want to thank uh, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of and producing all of today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at grice show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.